You're listening to Inspirational Perspective with Linnell Harris. Inspirational Perspective is all about murdering mediocrity and living the best life possible. Are you living the best life possible? You can subscribe to the Inspirational Perspective blog at www.inspirationalperspective.com. Follow Linnell on social media. Go to Facebook and like the Facebook page, Inspirational Perspective. You can also follow Linnell on Twitter and Instagram at the handle Linnell Harris. In this recording, Linnell reflects on the teaching of author and poet Maya Angelou. Let's listen in. All right, so let's get into tonight's tribute to Maya Angelou. I have about nine, ten sound bites. And the first one that I want to touch on with Maya Angelou in particular. So Maya Angelou is what I call a wordsmith. Okay. And a wordsmith is just someone who's gifted with the English language or any language. She spoke six different languages. She got 30 different honorary doctorates. So, you know, well recognized for her writing and for her poetry. And in this soundbite that you're about to hear, I want to open it. This is kind of an intro, right? So those of you who don't know a lot about Maya Angelou, this is going to help you learn a little bit about her. And I believe that by the end of the show, you would have learned a lot. And I'll give you some resources online and, uh, you know, two of my favorite books from Maya Angelou that you can, you know, check out as well. That will help you learn more about her. But, you know, truly a sage and an African-American icon and deserves to be recognized for that work, which is exactly what I want to do this evening. So she's a wordsmith. Right. And so in this segment, it's kind of an intro. And, and she talks a little bit about words and words themselves and the, and the importance of words and how and what she learned about words and also how she revered words. And so, Zach, go ahead and play that that first segment there. My grandmother, my father's mother, raised me. She was an amazing woman. She told me, sister, when you get, give. When you learn, teach. These are lessons to live by. I thought for a long time that my grandmother was God. She was so tall. And she used to tell me, sister, mama don't know what she's going to do. Mama just going to step out on the word. Just step out on the word of God. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. People call me stupid, dumb, uh, a moron, an idiot, because I didn't speak for six years. I was a mute. And Mama used to tell me when she'd braid my hair, my hair was huge and very curly. My Mama would say, Sister, Mama don't care what these people say, but you must be an idiot, you must be a moron, because you can't talk. Sister, Mama don't care. Mama know when you and the good Lord get ready. You're going to be a teacher. Sister, you're going to teach all over this world. I used to sit there and think, this poor ignorant woman, doesn't she know I will never speak? I've taught at the Bema Theater in Israel, in Tel Aviv. I've taught in Egypt. I've been distinguished visiting professor at the University of Exeter in England. I've taught in Rome and all over the United States. 
And each time I have another honor, I think of my grandma. Mm. So I am grateful to be, have been loved and to be loved now and to be able to love because that liberates. Love liberates. It doesn't just hold. All right, I'm going to come back to love liberating, but that's the first part I wanted to share. And this is what I want you all to get out of that, that Maya Angelou shared there. And actually, that portion there is uh, uh, Maya Angelou when she was being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey for a master class. And so if you want to see a really well put together documentary about Maya Angelou's life, Google Oprah Winfrey Maya Angelou master class. And a few of the sound bites here are from that. But what I want to really get to is her grandmother and the words that she said that Maya Angelou at the time of this particular interview, I believe was 82, still remembered, you know, and her grandmother called her sister. But so people called her dumb. People called her a moron. And her grandmother said, despite all of what everyone else was saying, she spoke blessings or words of affirmation into her life as a young child and said, you will be a teacher and you will teach all over the world. All right. So the first lesson I think that we can take from this is that words of affirmation work. Okay. Cause here's a, a young girl. And if you know Maya Angelou's story, who's been through a tremendous amount and is not talking due to something devastating that happened to her. And she was molested at seven years old. Thought her words actually killed the man that molested her and decides to stop talking and is not talking. And at this point is mute or as some people would call dumb and is. uh, I mean, really, for lack of a better term, really destined not to do much. Right. And often we look at circumstance and we say, OK, based on circumstance, this is what a person's going to do. And we can speak blessings and affirmations, especially parents into that child's life or teachers into that child's life or bus drivers or whoever you may be. And so I I definitely want to play that first. And actually, the next segment or the next two segments are going to be on words in particular. Uh, So listen carefully to those. Uh, Zach, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and roll the second piece. When uh, my son may have been five years old, my mother uh, would pick him up all the time and feed him. And I went to her once a month, and she would cook for me. So one day I went to her house, and she'd cooked red rice, which I loved. After we finished eating, we walked down the hill, and she started across the street. She said, wait a minute, baby. I was 22 years old. She said, wait a minute, baby. You know, I think you're the greatest woman I've ever met. She said, Mary McLeod Bethune, Eleanor Roosevelt, and my mother, you're in that category. Then she said, give me a kiss. I gave her a kiss, and I got onto the streetcar. I can remember the way the sun fell on the slats of the wooden seats. I sat there, and I thought about her. I thought, suppose she's right. She's intelligent. And she's, she says she's too mean to lie. So suppose I am going to be somebody. 
she released me. She freed me to say I may have something in me that would be of value. Maybe not just to me. See? That's love. Okay. So, again, here is a, a place. So, first her grandmother, now her mother, who is, again, speaking something into her life. Now, I've done quite a few shows on the power of words, right? I have, uh, you know, I think I went through one particular one that was called Bad Names, and we talked about, you know, that we're often the worst offenders of misusing words towards ourselves, right? Oh, I'm stupid because I did that. Oh, I'm an idiot. And what I love about that particular piece with Maya Angelou is that she, she's sharing, and there's one more, but she's sharing how the words of the people who were closest to her impacted her life at a point in time when she didn't necessarily see the possibility of what they were talking about, right? I mean, for her mom to say, you know, I put you in a class of three women, Mary McLeod Bethune and Eleanor Roosevelt and my mom, and to mean it, right, with love, what does that do for her? And then what I want you to think about is what does that do for anyone, for any person, when you actually speak possibility into their worlds? So the next one here is where Maya Angelou really gets into the details of the power of words and the energy she feels words have behind them. And, you know, I've shared this before. And sometimes, you know, some of you have called in and actually disagreed and say, it's not that simple. It's not that simple, Linnell. You know, it's, you know, it's not about your environment. It's not about, you know, what you think. It's not about the words that you say. You know, the condition out here is much more complex than that. And, you know, listen to this next segment. And this is, you know, from someone we all revere and who has lived this. Okay, because I've been called out for being young before, too. (laughs) How old are you? Uh, Well, you know, at the time of this, she was 82. So let's check this out. Words are things, I'm convinced. You must be careful about the words you use or the words you allow to be used in your house. In the Old Testament, we are told in Genesis that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. That's in Genesis. Words are things. You must be careful. Careful about calling people out of their names, using racial pejoratives and sexual pejoratives and all that ignorance. Don't do that. Someday we'll be able to measure the power of words. I think they are things. I think they get on the walls. They get in your wallpaper. They get in your rugs, in your upholstery, in your clothes, and finally into you. They get into your walls. They get into your clothes. They get into your upholstery. And then finally, words can get into you. You know, there's a lot of literature out here, right, that basically uh, talks about the power of words. You know, so you can you can go to, you know, one of the main pieces of literature that a lot of us have held or read, which is the Bible, 
Or you can go to philosophers, you can go to Aristotle, you can go to Plato, a lot of the Greek philosophers. I mean, you can just keep going down the line of learned men or individuals that we would consider wise, even from a secular perspective, right? And there's one thing that always seems to ring true, and that is the power that is placed on words, right? (laughs) And it's funny, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Maybe one of those little nursery rhymes that's, you know, falls into the uh, category with the rest of them that aren't necessarily true. (laughs) And it's funny, a lot of nursery rhymes are tragic. (laughs) As you get older, you wonder, why was I allowed to read that? But I digress. So what Maya is saying here is that words matter more than we know, more than we know. Some time ago on a show last year, I talked about some research that Dr. Masuro Emoto did. And this research was based on a book he released called The Hidden Messages in Water. And in short, the book discusses the powerful impact that the vibrations of thought, music, video and words spoken and typed. All right. Written down, have on crystallized water. And. I wrote a blog on this, so you can always go to www.inspirationalperspective.com and check it out. Uh, just, you know, type in Dr. Emoto, that's E-M-O-T-O, and it'll come up and you can check it out. And also the video was embedded in that blog where you can see in this video, what he does is he exposes crystallized water to words. He exposes them to thoughts and to music. And so to provide an example, he exposed these crystallized waters to words like love, thank you appreciation, happiness, truth. And then behind that, he analyzed the water. He also analyzed water after a prayer. And he wanted to see what did the water look like beforehand and what did the water look like afterwards? And then he also exposed this water to the thoughts and words like you make me sick or I want to kill you. He put the words Adolf Hitler around these, uh, these, this crystallized water. He also used words like gratitude, peace, but he did a lot of work to see what does, what type of power does a word spoken, does a word written, or just a simple thought of the words have on crystallized water. And his findings are truly remarkable. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of people on YouTube have actually gone back and said, okay, can, does this really work? If I do this to cooked rice or something else, does the rice mold faster if I speak negative to it versus speaking positive? And it's interesting because typically they all end up with the same results, right? And this is YouTube video after YouTube video. I mean, you could watch 20 videos and you see the same thing, right? So there must be, you know, something to this, all right? And I always tell you guys, right, I could be wrong, but just in case I'm not, then maybe you might want to (laughs) listen. You might want to check this out. And so, you know, the videos are really sobering when you consider that in a, an adult human body, right? So he's working with water, okay? But this is my deduction from what Maya Angelou was saying. If Dr. Emoto's work on water, words can have an impact on water, and the human body or the human brain is comprised of 70% water, a child's body is comprised of 75% water, and if thoughts or words can manipulate water, and we as humans are mostly comprised of water, what kind of impact is our words and thoughts with each other having on each other? Something to think about. And 
you know, often when I wrote that particular piece, I wasn't thinking about Maya's work in particular and I didn't share it. But I was exposed to that particular soundbite you just heard. I would say about mm, four years ago, four or five years ago, three years ago. And so these are the type of things that kind of run in the background for me when you hear me speak with such conviction. And so I wanted to be sure to share that. So let's switch a little bit. So that piece there, you know, that's words. And that's that's Maya Angelou. If you're just joining us, I share three sound bites of Maya Angelou and what she taught on words and affirmations. She talked about how her grandmother spoke words of affirmation over her, how her mother did the same thing. And then she she just finished up the segment that Zach displayed that words are things and how they can get into our our walls, our clothes, our upholstery, and lastly, into our bodies, into the humans themselves. So the takeaway is if words are things and they actually matter, what words are you speaking? Are you being intentional with how you use your words? Okay, so let's get back into the life of Maya Angelou. So the next segment I'm going to have Zach play is Maya Angelou recalling her experience with the United Nations and kind of going back into her life when she was a teenager, 17 years old. And her circumstances were not were not in any way bright. They didn't line up in a way that you would say, oh, this young lady right here will be successful. Right. She, She didn't have circumstances like that which mirrors a lot of the circumstances that, you know, those of us uh, have, right? Or those of you who are listening have, you know, your circumstances might not be lining up the way you thought they should. And what she talks about here is how to see rainbows in your clouds and your clouds being those particular circumstances. So Zach, go ahead and play that. After I had written the inaugural poem from President Clinton, United Nations people called me and asked if I would write a poem for the world. I said yes first. I always say yes for a good thing. And then I go to the library and then I ask rabbis and priests and preachers and and imams, what do you think? But finally, I thought of United Nations. When it was founded in San Francisco, I was 17. And I would go down to where they would meet and, and I but watch the people go in. I read that simultaneous translators would be paid $150 a week to translate language. I knew I had a penchant for languages. And if I wasn't six foot tall, black, pregnant, unmarried, and uneducated, I could go in that building. And I cried. Can you imagine what it felt like 50 years later to be asked not only to write a poem, but to come back to San Francisco to that building and deliver the poem to the heads of state of the world? We, this people, on this wayward floating body created on this earth of this earth have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety 
and without crippling fear. There's an African-American song, 19th century, which um, is so great. It says, when it looked like the sun wasn't going to shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the clouds. Imagine. And I've had so many rainbows in my clouds. I had a lot of clouds. But I have had so many rainbows. And one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when I go to direct a movie, I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I say, come with me. I'm going on the stage. Come with me. I need you now. Long dead. You see? All right. I'm going to go ahead and um, exactly get that cue back up. And I'll tell you, so she was basically towards the end of what I wanted her to, to get to. But what she was basically talking about there, and you you heard it well, is... You know, so rainbows in the clouds. And then she, she went on to say that she brings everyone who has ever been kind to her with her in every interaction. Right. And this is why she knows when she's on stage or when she's doing whatever she's doing, that it's going to resonate. It's going to it's going to be felt because she's bringing all of those interactions. Right. Regardless of who they were, the kind words the wonderful things that people have said, the wonderful things that people have done. And she's she's basically embracing that as her rainbow and using that to deliver whatever it is that she knows that she needs to deliver. And in this piece, Maya Angelou, what I took away is her ability to glean gold from mud. And if you if you guys remember, it might have been this year or last year, I had a show called Gold in the Mud, right? And often the only way we have the breakthroughs, the only way that we can get we can touch the greatness or we can accomplish the goal or we can actually see our aspirations through is by getting our hands dirty, by going through that circumstance or doing that thing or being in the challenge that actually ends up providing us that gold in our fingers. Right. As we kind of glean it and. The piece I wrote in particular called Gold in the Mud, one of the things I talked about in that piece was the 49ers, right, back in the day and how they came from all all over the world to mine gold during the California gold rush, but they could not get gold. You cannot get gold out of the river, out of the dirt, out of the mud without getting dirty. You just can't. Uh, It's interesting, sometime back, maybe a couple of months ago, My mom and I were talking and she was saying, you know, Linnell, I'm giving you the quick version. But she was saying, you know, Linnell, I've realized that when you run into a barrier or when you run into a wall, when you're being tried, when you're being tested, that there's something to take. And you're only being tested because there's something for you. There's ground for you to take or you're supposed to enlarge your territory. You're supposed to increase your coast. Otherwise, you know, what's the fight for? And she shared more in that. But that's really ultimately what she was saying. And so the question here is, have you taken the time to sift through your unfortunate circumstances 
in displeasing situations for the rainbows or for the gold, right? And how can we begin to shift our attitudes towards these happenings, towards these circumstances to ensure we can see the glimmer of gold in them, the lesson that we're supposed to learn? A friend of mine, I told him recently, a really good friend of mine, I told him, it seems like until you really learn the lesson, you're going to keep getting taught the lesson, right? He was having some tough times, and he, it seemed like, like his life was almost repeating itself. You know, I'm like, hey, until you learn a lesson, then it's probably going to keep happening, right? You have to pass this particular test before you can move on, before you can take that ground. And so that's the long and short of what she was saying. You know what, Zach? Let's skip to number six. And let me know. Just give me a thumbs up once you got that. You have that one queued up. Number six is basically her thoughts on teaching. Okay. She is, you know, Maya Angelou's written over 30 books, I think exactly, or over 30 books. And in this particular segment or this piece, she's just, you know, talking about that and giving her thoughts on teaching. It's interesting, right? She's giving her thoughts on teaching. Let's go back to one of the first clips when she said, you will be a teacher, what her grandmother said to her, you will be a teacher and you will teach all over the world, all over the world. And then behind that, she goes and is teaching in Tel Aviv, Egypt, England, Rome. Uh, she didn't mention Africa, but when Malcolm X met her, she was at the university, a university in Ghana. So she, I mean, so many different areas where she was, she was teaching. And so here are her thoughts on teaching. You ready, Zach? All right, cool. I have now written 30 books, books of poetry and books of essays and cookbooks and a number of children's books. And I still have the same editor 40 years later. What I think it really means is I'm a teacher. I am a teacher. I teach all the time, as you do and as all of you do. Whether we know it or not, whether we take responsibility for it or not, I hold nothing back. Because I want to see that light go off. I like to see the truth thing. I never thought of that before. And I think I've got that. And I think I've got them. And I'll tell you, as a, a teacher myself, that's one of the coolest things <laughs> is, you know, speaking to an audience or I really love speaking to intimate audiences because, you know, a group of 25 to 30 people, you can interact with them. You get to know your na their names and then sharing something and seeing that light bulb go off. Ah, that's that is that, you know, that's fulfillment for my purpose. And so in a lot of ways, it's fulfilling for me to know that I'm providing someone that. And I love how she said we're all teachers. Each and every one of us are teachers. So this next segment, I think we got three more. The next one is Maya Angelou talking about her greatest lesson. And she refers to life as a class. And so, again, this piece here is from Oprah Winfrey's life class interview with Maya Angelou. And so she talks about life as a class. And she also talks about all of us being human beings and the intrinsic connection that provides us. And so I really want you all to listen to this and take away from it what you can, but it's, it's deep, I'm telling you. And so, Zach, go ahead and roll it. If I think of my life as a class and what I've really learned, 
I've learned a few things. First, I'm, I'm aware that I'm a child of God. It's such a, an amazing understanding to think that the it, which made fleas and mountains and rivers and stars, made me. What I pray for is humility, to know that there's something greater than I. And I have to know that the brute, the bigot, and the batterer are all children of God, whether they know it or not. And I'm supposed to treat them accordingly. And, and it's hard, and I blow it all the time. <laughs> Mongrel class of people! I'd like everybody to think of a statement by Terence. The statement is, I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. If you can internalize the least portion of that, you will never be able to say of, a, of an act, a criminal act, or oh, I couldn't do that. No matter how heinous the crime, if a human being did it, you have to say, I have in me all the components that are in her or in him. I intend to use my energies constructively as opposed to destructively. If you can do that about the negative, just think what you can do about the positive. If a human being dreams a great dream, dares to love somebody, if a human being dares to be Martin King or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Malcolm X, if a human being dares to be bigger than the condition into which she or he was born, it means so can you. And so you can try to stretch, stretch, stretch yourself. So you can internalize a homo sum. I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. That's one thing I'm learning. The beautiful part about that is at the very end, at 82 years old, she says, this is one thing that I'm learning. And I think more than anything, what that proves is that life is a learning process and that we never really have it figured out. And so the job that we have is to continue learning, constantly developing, constantly honing ourselves, constantly reaching for more. I love it too when she says it's hard and I blow it all the time, right? None of us are perfect and we blow it. We do. We blow it. I know I've blown it as a leader, right? I, you know, I could teach people how to be a leader and there's nothing like recognizing that, uh-oh, you know, this last month or two, I don't know that I've been showing up the way I teach how I show up. And that's really what this is about, right? And so typically that's when you guys hear something from me <laughs> talking about leadership, right? It's, a, it's me exhorting myself on how to get back on the straight and narrow. I am a human being Nothing human can be alien to me, Terrence. This is just a beautiful learning from Maya. 
Angelo. And so I promised that I would come back to Love Liberates. So let's hit that up now. You see, love liberates. It doesn't bind. Love says, I love you. I love you if you're in China. I love you if you're cross town. I love you if you're in Harlem. I love you. I would like to be near you. I'd like to have your arms around me. I'd like to hear your voice in my ear. But that's not possible now. So I love you. Go. Love liberates. And it's interesting, right? Because often, (laughs) especially in pop culture, love is not liberating, right? Love is I need you right here all the time. Do not leave me. I don't trust you out of my sight. (laughs) And she talks about how love liberates. And it runs parallel with some other things that she talked about that I won't have the opportunity to share here. Or if you, you know, get into her books, you'll learn. But she talks about the love that she received from her grandmother and from others, her friends too. James Baldwin, when Martin Luther King died, he died on her birthday and how the love that they have or they had for her is what allowed her to be who she was to reach for greatness. Because the other thing that love does is there's no judgment. And so love allows someone to reach for that which cannot be seen because judgment cannot live in love. And often, often we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, are we operating in love when somebody is sharing a dream, someone is sharing an aspiration and we're like, oh, you can't do that. That's not typically loving them. Okay. Because It is the individuals who look to do unreasonable things that later we look up to, that we admire, that we have radio shows about, right? Like tonight for Maya Angelou. So let's go ahead and move to living what you teach. And yeah, let's go to living what you teach. And then I'll share a little something about that before we close. Maybe the hardest part is you, if, if you teach, you have to live your teaching. Mm. You can't uh, say, you do not as I do, but do as I say. No, no. You have to say, I'm doing my best to live what I teach. I have a painting by Phoebe of a group that she calls Sister Suki's Funeral. And they all the women, there are about nine women, and they... They all look like women in my grandmother's uh, prayer meeting group. So whenever I'm obliged to do something, I take that painting and I look at that painting. There's an empty chair. And I think, now, what would grandma do? What would she say? I can almost hear her voice say, now, sister, you know what's right. Just do right. You don't really have to ask anybody. The truth is, Right may not be expedient, it may not be profitable, but it will satisfy your soul. It brings you the kind of protection that bodyguards can't give you. Try to be all you can be, to be the best human being you can be. Try to be that in your church, in your temple. Try to be that in your classroom. 
do it because it is right to do. You see, people will know you and they will add their prayers to your life. They'll wish you well. I think if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, hell, oh, damn, <laughs> I think you're doing something wrong. But if your name is mentioned and people say, oh, she's so sweet, he's so nice, oh, I love, oh, God bless her. There you are. So try to live your life in a way that you will not regret years of useless virtue and inertia and timidity. Take up the, uh, the battle. Take it up. It's yours. This is your life. This is your world. I'll be leaving it long before you under the ordinary set of circumstances. You make your own choices. You can decide life isn't worth living. And that would be the worst thing you can do. How do you know? So far. Try it. See. So pick it up. Pick up the battle and, and make it a better world. Just where you are. Yes. And it can be better, and it must be better, but it is up to us. It can be better, but it's up to us. You know, there's so much to learn, and that's, that's what I'm sitting with, right? Maya Angelou passed away this past week, and I just wanted to do something as a tribute to her for the role that she's played as a virtual mentor for me. And I opened up the show with that. And what I'm sitting with right now is there is so much to learn and there's so many distractions. There are so many distractions. And there's one thing that I know we all want and actually probably two or three things. But what I do know that we want is a sense of fulfillment, a sense of knowing that because you breathe, because you exist, number one, you are worthy. And number two, it matters. You're making a difference because we're all intrinsically linked, right? Last week, I kind of talked about the hormones in our body and how serotonin works. And serotonin is, you know, really when you do something for someone, it gets released. <laughs> one of the reasons why I think sometimes the body's chemically off is because we're not doing all the things for others that we need to do. And the best way to do that is first to look to yourself, right? You guys know I'm an ontological coach and healthy priorities is to ensure that you are loving self adequately. I'm not talking about being selfish, but what I'm saying is taking the time to reflect, taking the time to learn, taking the time to, to listen to the words of sages <laughs> like Maya Angelou to sit back and enjoy the poetry and to think deeply about what she's sharing and, and how it aligns to your own life, to your own path, to your own walk, to your own journey and how it can, may help you reach that destination, reach the destination of your goals, reach the destination of your aspirations. So to end, I think it would be appropriate to read Cage Bird by Maya Angelou and so I want to read that to close the show again as a dedication to her 
And as I mentioned, as a virtual mentor, she is. I just wrote a blog, so you can check it out on inspirationalperspective.com. And I just called out, I believe it was seven, five to seven virtual mentors. I can't remember now. But five to seven virtual mentors of mine. And she was not one of them. And now I'm like, ugh. I mean, there's a lot of people that I could call out. But when she passed, and you guys know how I am, right? Something happens, I'm, I'm like, okay, what did I learn from her? What can I take away right now in this moment to remember her to make this relevant for me? And so doing the work for the show tonight, it was just like, wow. Like, how did she not end up on that list? <laughs> because this is so much that I've been able to take away from Maya Angelou in particular. So here's the cage bird. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade wind soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown, but long for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. And that's Maya Angelou. And our ancestors, right, were those caged birds. And here we are free. Are you really singing the song that you can sing? The song that you should be singing. This episode of Inspirational Perspective was recorded at the Midway Broadcasting Corporation in Chicago, Illinois, on WVON 1690 AM, The Talk of Chicago. Thank you for listening. Go to the Inspirational Perspective Facebook page and like the page. Follow Linnell Harris on social media at the handle Linnell Harris. You can find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with that handle. Text INSPIRED to 43783 to receive free inspirational quotes and updates.